Greetings in the wonderful name of Jesus. Today I'm going to be talking about the perfection of God and we're going to talk just about how loving He is, how caring He is. You know the scripture says that we should be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, which sounds like a very difficult task. What is this perfection all about? How do we define the holiness of God? And how do we see this awesome glory, this uh, almost like we would say a light shining good God. How do we declare that? How do we get that right? Who is this holy God? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now I'm in a series where I talk about the resurrection, but I have thought it good not to continue with that series for this program because this message is really pressing on my heart and I want to share this. Now for those of you that follow me on Facebook, you would see that I've already mentioned some of the things on my Facebook page and preached short messages about what I'm going to say today. So you're going to hear some of the stuff again, but I know this is going to bless you greatly. And it will be something that's very practical that you can share with people as they are going through difficult times. Because as we understand the holiness and the righteousness and the goodness of God, if we understand how perfect He is, our hearts will go to rest even in the midst of difficult times or in the midst of our shortcomings, knowing that His perfection will always overcome our shortcomings. Now, I want to start off by uh, <clears throat> reading a passage from Romans chapter 4. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to show you how God was good to people that didn't believe in Him. How God was good to people who worshipped false gods. They didn't pray to Him, that didn't believe in Him, that had nothing to do with Him, that were worshipping idols. So we're going to look at how good God is to idol-worshipping people. That's what we're going to look at. So many times in Christianity we've got this idea that God is sitting in heaven and He's just looking at who is making a mistake in how they pray or how they, or how they worship God or those kind of things and whenever there is a sin, or whenever there is a shortcoming, there is a consequence or a punishment that God releases from heaven. <coughs> Excuse me. With that in mind, we can easily, when we go through difficult times in this world, think that God is testing us or God is purifying us. I want to say to you that hard times is not God's method wherein He draws His people to Him. The Bible says that it is the goodness and the forbearance of God that leads us to repentance. Hard times is not the key. Hard times is not, does not do the work of the Holy Spirit. God has not invented hard times so that He can draw His people to them through those hard times. As if the drawing power of His love and His goodness and His forbearance is too weak. When we come to God because we are afraid of not being blessed, when we come to God and we do all the right things because we are scared that we're going to lose our prosperity or our health or good things that we already have or we think that we're going to miss out on good things that we can have should we follow all these principles and just say things right all the time, we are still not walking in what God has dreamt for us. That is why God would not regard, and that's how I feel, and this is how I see it uh, in my heart, 
repentance because of fear or repentance because you want God to do good things to you in this world. In other words, maybe you are in need of a car and now you think that God has broken your old car and now He's gonna, He can give you another car again should you repent of your sin. That kind of a repentance is not a repentance that I believe God has in mind for us. The repentance that God has in mind for us is a change of mind on who we really are and who He really is as well as on how to be saved. That is what it's all about. The goodness of God leads people to repentance and we need to have that in our mind. So today we're going to talk about <coughs> that goodness that God has towards sinners and we're going to see that that goodness of God that He has towards sinners is actually His perfection. That is what we're going to see. And every time you think of God as a perfect God, you will also see Him as a God, or you'll actually just see Him as a God that is good to you in the area of your shortcomings. And that is very important to have a peaceful Christian life when you don't walk in fear every day. Amen. Now I want to start off by laying a foundation and showing you that the scripture says that we cannot be saved by our works. Now today's teaching is not going to be an in-depth uh, theological teaching, but rather a simple teaching about the love and the goodness of God that can make you feel loved, that can have you easily understand and easy to, ex uh, it will be a message also that is, will cause you to have the ability to easily explain the goodness of God to other people when you're going through a difficult time. Right, Romans 4 from verse 1, it says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God and was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. I would like to explain the background here. Paul comes and he uses Abraham, which was back then believing in, in idols, idol-worshipping Abram. God sees that idol-worshipping Abram, who was not circumcised, who did not have any law whereby he had to please God or anything like that, that was sacrificing to idols, that was following the Chaldean law and the Chaldean system of that time, he saw that Abraham and that Abram could not have children. And from a heart of compassion, he came to Abram and he said to Abram, I will bless you, I will make you a great nation. That is what he said, I will bless you, Abraham. I, 
just believe me. Move away from where you are. Go to a land that I will show you. And that is what Abraham did. So what did Abraham do? I say Abraham, back then he was Abram. But what did he do? Did he do any law to qualify to be blessed? No. God came to him and promised an idol-worshipping man that he would bless him. In other words, Abram qualified to be blessed while he was still worshipping idols. That means that God was not looking at Abram and at what he does and from there decided to make him a promise. And you know, the promise God made Abram was not that he would bless him should he do certain things. The promise was simply from God, I will do this. Now, I want to ask you, if somebody makes you a promise, whose obligation is it to fulfill the promise? Is it the one to whom the promise is made? Or is it the promise maker's job to fulfill what he has promised? Obviously, it is the one that made the promise. So here we see that God promised Abram. And here it says that Abraham was justified, but not by works. It says, did Abraham our father receive what he received by doing right things and then God looking at him saying, well, he doesn't have sin and because he has confessed all his sin and because he doesn't have sin, therefore I can bless him. He says, no, it, that was not the case. Was Abraham part of the Jewish nation back then? No, the Jewish nation didn't even exist. It started from his loins. That is where it started. Abram wasn't circumcised. He wasn't under the law. There was nothing good that Abram did. And it says here that Abram was justified. In other words, he was blessed in having Isaac. He was blessed in <coughs> God granting him that life that God promised him and actually bringing it forth in his life, he was blessed in that. He was given that. How? It says here that Abraham cannot boast in his works. And he says, if he boasts in his works, he cannot boast before God because the scripture says that Abraham only believed God and then God did what he promised. That is all. And so many times we think that Abraham was this perfect man. Abraham was not a perfect man. Abraham had shortcomings. Abraham could, uh, um, I mean, he was also afraid and had fear and normal things in his life like we have. But God came and he blessed him. Now it says here, blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. In other words, blessed is the man that God will take his sin and his death away and actually give him eternal life and clean him up for free. Blessed is that man. I want to ask you, if the Bible says that Jesus is our Savior, that you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin, what should we do? Should we try and clean ourselves up so that God can bless us? No. All we should do is believe him, and he will clean our lives up. He will bring forth compassion and kindness and generosity and love for people forth in our lives. He will clean up your mouth. He will clean up your thoughts. So many times we've preached the thing the wrong way around. 
we have not seen salvation as God saving me from sin and death. We have not seen it like that. The greatest thing we've done in the charismatic church in defining salvation is saying that God will save me in, will save my wallet. And He is going to save my, my, He's going to save me from sickness and disease and He's going to save my wallet. So in other words, I'm not going to be sick, I'm not going to be in a car accident and what I'm going to have is I am going to have a stack of money. That's how we've defined salvation, which is not the truth. The Bible clearly says, and I know some might be offended by hearing this, but the Bible says, look at how many poor people, poor financially, are rich in faith. So how can you be rich in true faith and poor financially? It doesn't make sense. But here the scripture, the scripture clearly states that. So God comes and He brings forth a life that is greater than the definitions we've just traditionally had of being saved in my body in the sense of never becoming sick. My kids are always protected. I'm never going to be in a car accident and I'm going to have a load of money. And then a lot of, especially in our charismatic Pentecostal churches of salvation, was put on going to heaven and having a lot of money and never being sick. That is what it was all about. But we haven't defined salvation the way it is supposed to be defined, where we are saved from one life and He gives us another life as well as then saving our bodies from death, giving us eternal life where the end goal is not heaven, but where the end goal is a glorified earth and a glorified body. So <clears throat> we find, and I want to say this, get back to the point I'm trying to make here. If God promises you eternal life, He promises to clean you up, He promises to bring forth holiness in you, how can we ever think that we should repent from our sins so that God can save us? If salvation is to be saved from your sins, how can the definition of repentance be to repent from your sins so that God can save you? You see, what we've done is we've defined salvation mainly in heaven and hell. If you accept Jesus today, you will be saved. And the concept is you will now go to heaven one day. But when Paul preached salvation, what he had in mind was to be saved from death as Jesus was saved from death in being raised from the dead in having a glorified body. And with that in mind, Paul concludes that everything that leads to death has also been conquered, which is sin. Therefore, it is, the, it is the work of the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit to save you from your sins. The true definition of repentance would be to repent from the system whereby you think you must be saved by your works and where you must save yourself from hatred and anger, not loving your neighbor by trying to obey a law. You cannot save yourself from sin. Neither can you repent from your sins in order to be saved one day. No, you repent from your wrong belief and God comes and He saves you. And that's what we see with Abram. God comes to Abram and He promised him uh, that he would continue to live and not die when him and Sarah just dies, but that his lineage will continue and not just end there. That was also an... Um, 
the people of that day believed that that's how they continue to live. That was their eternal life to them. We know that's not what the Bible defines as eternal life, but that's what they saw. They thought, Peter, uh, uh, <coughs> Abraham thought, he's just going to die and that will be the end of him. But God said, I will make you a great nation. And did God do it? Yes. What did Abraham do? Did he follow the law to get that? No. Did he repent from different sins in order for God to make that true? No. He just believed God. That is all. He just believed God. Many times it's difficult for us to believe God because when we just believe God and we, we stand away from the law, we are actually at a place where we can do nothing about our uh, the end of our life. We can do nothing about hope. There's nothing we can do. We can just trust God. So many times we would say, listen, I don't care what I have to do. Even if I have to repent on a daily basis, even if I have to give money on a regular basis, even if I have to pray three times a day, I don't care. Even if I must visit the poor and help, I'll do anything I can do so that God can forgive me and bless me. The moment you say, I don't care what I must do so that God can forgive me and bless me, you are actually saying, I don't trust Him just to bless me. I want to make sure that I can push Him into a corner so that He can bless me. Like many people say, you know, God will not be indebted to us and he who uh, <clears throat> gives to the poor lends to God and God will be no man's debtor and He's going to pay back tenfold, so make sure you give a lot of money to the poor. Because if you give a lot of money now to the poor, then God is indebted to you and now He has to pay you back with interest and bless you. And examples will be used like, uh, <clears throat> like with, with Peter. He said, borrow me your boat. And, and Peter borrowed him the boat and he preached from the shore and preached to the people. And then it is being said that because he borrowed Peter's boat, Therefore, he will not be indebted to any man. That's why he gave, gave him a shipload full of fish. Just after that, you know, a, a, a ship full of fish, paying the debt back. And that's how, and now by doing that, we are actually, and believing things like that, we're not believing that God can just bless us. We believe that there are principles, and we're actually believing in our own ability, and now we are using and abusing God to get to the end goal, and so creating our own life by our own works and using God to, to, to perform the supernatural which we cannot perform. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. God comes to a pagan worshipping or a pagan idol worshipping man and he promises him before he has stopped any sin, before he's done anything right and he blessed him. Now we can go to Acts 14 and we're going to look at another instance where <coughs> the scripture clearly states that God has blessed us or blessed <coughs> people without believing in God but believing in um, other gods. Now I'm not saying we can be saved without believing in Jesus. I'm trying to explain to you the perfection of God and how good He is even to those who are sinning, even to those who are against Him, His enemies. Now we need to know that when Jesus Christ died, He died for everybody in the world. He, uh, he didn't just die for the Jews. We need to understand that. So when Jesus died upon the cross, the Jews made up a very, very, very small part of the world's population. So when God gave His Son, He loved the world. Now, 
I would say 99.99999% of the people on the planet to whom God gave His Son was worshipping idols, praying to tree stumps, praying to the sun and the moon and the stars, sacrificing their children, praying to animals, believing in reincarnation, living in all the filth of idol worship, and in the midst of them believing all those bad things, He gave His Son. Now, the Bible says if He gave us His Son, how much more with Him will He not give us all things? So He gave us His Son, how much in giving His Son will He not manifest the fullness of His blessings towards us? And this He did while the... By the, the majority, the greatest percentage of people that he did this for was worshipping idols. They were busy worshipping the goddess. Some of them were bus busy worshipping the goddess Diana, <coughs> worshipping her in having orgies at the temple. And he gave his son for those people. He loved them. Now, as we look at uh, traditional understanding of Christianity is, if you have sin in your life, then God cannot bless you. Or if there's sin in the camp, then God cannot bless you. Until the sin is confessed, and after the sin is confessed, then the doors are open and God can now bless you. And then, should you have sinned again, then you've closed the door and you've opened another door. It's almost as if we've got this ministry of doors. You know, opening and closing doors and then we want to go in the heavens and we want to open and close doors and just very weird things that doesn't make sense in simple family logic the logic that there is between a father and his children a father who loves his children amen so with that in mind god that gave his son to people that were believing in false gods with that in mind we're going to read the following passage this is and i'm going to pick it up from verse 14 where paul and barnabas went and they preached um, to a group of people in lystra and as they preached to them a miracle took place paul came and he prayed and a paralytic was healed and when he was healed the people said oh the gods has now come and dwelt in human form amongst us. Let us sacrifice to them. And then they tried to sacrifice to Paul and Peter. And it says here, And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Machiris because he was the chief speaker. So here they come and they say, These two men are these gods that are now walking amongst us. They didn't understand the message clearly. <clears throat> and then Peter said the following. He said, um, let me read from verse 14. And when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they rent their clothes and ran in amongst the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like passion with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth 
and the sea and all the things that, there, that are therein. When in times past suffer all nations to walk in their own ways. So what he's saying is, in the times past he suffered in that people walked in their own ways. In other words, in the past times, the different nations and different people worshipped all their gods. And now we've come to preach to you not to worship false gods anymore, but to worship the only true God. But now listen to this. He says, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their ways. Nevertheless, although uh, this was taking place, nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness. So in other words, he's saying, <clears throat> although you worshipped all these gods that are no gods and that has no power, I didn't leave myself without a witness of how good I am towards you while you are living in those sins or as sinners, as the worshippers of false gods. And listen to what God did in um, His blessing towards these people. This is what He did. Nevertheless, He left not Himself without a witness in that He did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that while these people were sinners, God gave rain from heaven. While these people weren't believing, God gave rain from heaven. And He blessed them with physical rain from heaven, which is a type and a shadow of the true rain, which is Jesus, which would come from heaven and save us from our sin and our death. It was, he was saying that I, I still loved you. I was still for you. My plan, I was working out my plan with Jesus. I came in the fullness of time. But while you were doing all those things, God still gave witness to how good He is. And He gave rain to idol-worshipping people. So that means... And I want to stretch this point. And for you, those who watch this on television, I want you to hear my heart. That means that if you are in a drought, it can never be God taking away the water to get your attention. It can never be. For God, that would be God removing His very own witness. He is giving rain. He's giving that which is good while people are bad. Now what one might say, but you know, those times of old has gone and now we are in the New Testament. Now God wants people to repent and now if you don't repent, then you are going to have a drought. Is God going to change? The Bible says with Him is no shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want you to know that every scripture you read in the Bible must find its interpretation and final conclusion in the manifestation of the Word. In other words, every scripture you read, truly and correctly interpreted, should it become flesh and walk amongst us, it will have to be exactly 
who and what Jesus was and how he lived and what his death and resurrection implied. In other words, if you come and you say that God will bring a drought or that your sins causes God to withdraw his hand from you and now there is a drought and if, if you say that uh, sin brings sin causes God to distantiate himself from you then I will ask you I will ask you make that flesh put that inside a human body and let's see how that looks in a human body that would mean if my son does not uh, obey me, then I'm going to take his water away. That he doesn't have water to drink. Until he's so thirsty that he's about to die, and then I will have the only water there is, and then he'll come to me and then I'll give him water only when he repents. If he says, I want water, he gets nothing. He must first show sorrow and he must repent. Can you see how the theory put into flesh doesn't look like the body of Jesus when he walked on the earth? Always, when you preach a message, make it flesh. Make it, put it in a practical explanation or a practical example of a human being living on the earth and practicing that principle which you believe in, which you get from the Old Testament or wherever you get it. And if that person's life doesn't measure up to the life that Jesus lived on the earth, your interpretation of that scripture is wrong and you are not bringing forth the word that God tried to communicate inside that scripture in the Old Testament. <clears throat> we must understand that the fullness of, of the law, the law in its full manifestation, the law's end goal, that whereunto the law leads is grace. That which the law was talking about all the time is Jesus which freely gives us righteousness and justifies us with the very life of God. Amen. True faith, according to Romans 4 that we've read there, is if you can believe that God can justify the ungodly. Unless you can believe that God justifies the ungodly, you have not reached or you are not walking according to the faith that Abraham had and the faith that God wanted to kindle in us by giving Jesus. When he gave his son Jesus, what must we make of it? God can bless sinners. And what does God bless sinners with? He blesses us with a holy life and he blesses us with righteousness as a free gift and he blesses us with eternal life he blesses us with a seat in the Godhead. He blesses us with a mind like His. He blesses us with holiness and righteousness and peace and kindness and goodness and generosity. He blesses us with His very own life and saves us from death, saves us from what destroys us. Amen. We think that we need to stop what destroys us so that God can save us from hell. In the meantime, it doesn't work that way. The way it works is God has come to stop what destroys us. It is His doing. We can just believe Him. There are people that say to me, and I've, I've had writings where people have got this question. I can understand why it is like that. I'm not pointing the finger. But it says, how can there ever be order without a law? 
My question is, how can there ever be order by the law? How can there ever be order without God, by His power, bringing forth holiness in people, free from their influence on it, where it is purely the Almighty God creating a brand new life in us? That's my question. I want to tell you, no person by his own ability has, can ever obey the law. Neither does God empower us to obey the law. God does not empower us to obey the law. God has come and He gives us a brand new life, which is not a life that obeys the law, but a life that the law has got nothing against. There's a big difference. There is a big, big difference. I am not trying to obey laws in the Quran. But you will find that in my life, that if you look at how I live, that in many instances you will find that the Quran has got nothing against my lifestyle. Because the Quran also says that we should love and we should be good and all those kind of things. But I'm not empowered to obey that book. If you hear what I'm saying from a Christian perspective. I am simply having a brand new life that comes from God. And that is what God has promised us. So we see that God has come to bless. And who is He good to? He's blessed, he's, he's blessed people here with rain that has not believed upon Him. That, has, that were idol worshippers. So we cannot come today and think that if we are in an area where it is very dry, that should we just confess our sin and stop our sin, that God will then send rain again. No, God has not changed. He will never change. We are simply living in a time when there is drought on the in this area or the area where you are in. It can be floods, it can be hurricanes, it can be whatever. I find that people say, you know, they live, they, they live in an earthquake, a place where there's earthquake upon earthquake, and then when an earthquake comes, then we say God is trying to punish people. It's like living in Malmesbury where I live, and when it becomes 45 or 46 degrees Celsius, which is in Fahrenheit, I think 115, 116, then we're saying, God, why are you trying to punish us? Man, it has always been hot here. In February, it's the way it is. You can live in areas where there are hurricanes, and that is, it, it comes past that place. That's how it is. If you live in the Caribbean, you will find winds and storms. It is there. It's not God punishing. It's none of those things. Jesus is the Word of God, not weather. Let me say that again. Jesus is God's Word about your holiness, about your righteousness, about who you are, not the weather. And God is never going to make the weather His Word. An immortal man above sin, above death, is your hope, is the message about you, is the truth about you. The Bible says, when we behold the glory of God, we are beholding as in a mirror. In other words, when we behold the perfection of God, it shines forth in our lives. And when we see Him, we see who we are. Because as He is, so are we. Amen. Right. <clears throat> I want to read from, um, from Luke 6. I'm going to do three more verses. Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> I want to read here from verse 27. Remember, we've got this idea that if it doesn't rain, it's because of sin. Is it true? 
No, it's not true. Why? Because God gave rain to idol-worshipping people, even in the old. How much more in the new, if I want to talk legalistic language? If under the old he was so good, how much more under the new? Amen. Verse 27, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. Now, imagine God has got enemies, people that hate him. What would he do to them? He would do good to them. Because here, Jesus says things that we have to do towards people. Now, do you think that he will say that if he was not willing to do that himself? If we read Luke, he's actually not trying to tell us what to do, but he's actually trying to reveal to us who God is. And he is now taking the message of who God is and making it flesh, putting it in a human form, wherein we can understand exactly who and what God would be in normal circumstances. And this is what he says, But I say unto you which year, love your enemies, and do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And to him which smites you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And to him that takes away your cloak, forbid not to take your coat also. Give to every man that asks of you, and of him that takes away your goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do also to them. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. Now that is just a way wherein God was saying, Jesus was saying, if you can do all these things, that would be what my offspring looks like, because that is what I am. That is what he is saying. Why? For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And in the next word, and I'm not going to go further, it says, judge not. Hallelujah. So, when it comes to a drought in your area or nature things or a car that breaks, like my one friend said, he said, man, I've had the most terrible week ever. Uh, my worker took my car, the guy doesn't have a license and he rolled the, rolled the pickup truck and it's a, it was total, it's a write-off. Then the well on my property dried up. Then there was some that happened that he didn't even want to say what happened. It was very bad. Then um, he backed up with his car and drove over the dog and the dog died. Now he can go and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? Uh, God has now dried up the well. God has taken my car and killed my dog. <laughs> and some other thing that God did, who knows what. Now God's getting his attention. Now we can go, oh God, what? No, the scripture doesn't say that. Or he can go and say, God, what sin have I in my life that all these things are happening? By just asking that, it's an insult to the very character and testimony of God, to the witness of God. For God was witnessing who he was, even in the old, by blessing the 
idol-worshipping people with physical rain from heaven, showing to them that He is always good, that they could have a mindset that, that God is good. And then when they would realize that their gods, is, that, that they are all false gods and not true gods, then they will ask, all the good that God has given to us, it means it was this God, this God of the Jews, that is actually the true God. And He was blessing us while we're doing all those things. Wow, He is so good. It leads me to repentance, to repent of how, what I think about God and what I think about myself. Gives me a brand new life. Amen. So now it goes on in Luke here, and it says, Therefore, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. What will God do to His enemies? He will be good to them. What will God do to those that hate Him? He will be good to them. What will God do to those that curse Him according to verse 28? He will bless them. What will He do to those who despitefully uses Him? He will pray for them. He will be there for them. If you smite God on the one side of His cheek, what will He do? He'll change the other. If you pull out His beard, what will He do? He will say nothing. Why? For He is merciful. So I want to say to you, a drought can never be any indication of God withdrawing His hand from you in any form or fashion. Neither any nature catastrophe, neither any bomb that is on your nation, or anything like that, can never be like that. Our God doesn't change. He is loving and He's always been loving. Amen. And what's beautiful here, he says, Be therefore merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. I'm going to read one more verse and I'm going to explain the perfection of God from this verse. Everything amounts up, amounts up to this verse. <clears throat> Matthew 5.44 is the very same account and the teaching of Jesus only now spoken through Matthew. And it says here from verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, Pray for them that despitefully uses you and persecute you, that you may be children of, the, of your Father which is in heaven. Why? For He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. That means that you're not going to find spots of darkness on evil people as they have just committed a sin. As they commit a sin, boom, the light over them just goes out. No. The sun still shines on them. If people has just stolen something from a shop and he walks out, it's not as if there's going to be a darkness over him. He's walking in darkness. Everybody can see, oh, look at... No, the physical sun shines on everyone. And that is a sign of God's heart towards everyone. Then it goes on, it says here, and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And then I want to say, and the drought comes. If there is a drought, it comes to everyone. We in Cape Town, we have a drought. Here are people that love Jesus and there is a drought. Is that now all of a sudden indication of their righteousness or their sin or anything like that? No, it's just an indication that there hasn't been rain for a while. That's all. The only, if there was a flood in your area, it's not an indication of God's anger. It's an indication that a lot of rain fell and that it was too much for that valley to handle or the, 
the pipes or whatever. That's the only indication it is. Here it says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So it means that we can never say that rain has got a voice, should there not be rain, that God is angry. Because it says that the goodness of God is always declared to all. If you've got sin or not, God's goodness is towards you. Amen. Glory to God. Now it goes on here, it says, For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? If you do, do, not, even, do not even publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, greet your brethren only, don't sinners also do the same? And listen to this now. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Luke didn't say perfect, he said merciful. So, Matthew comes and he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Luke comes and says, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. So the perfection of God is defined in His mercy, not in punishing sin, not in bringing you through a hard time, but in how merciful He is. What makes our God the perfect God to have is the fact that He is merciful, that He is good. Amen. So I want to say to you, if you go through a hard time, Never let hard times, or be it a good thing that you go through, or a bad thing that you go through, ever be an indication of how right you've lived. When a good thing happens, let it just be a sign, if something very good happens, and you want to look at works, look at your works and say, well, I've done all these bad things, and look how blessed I am still. And if it goes very bad with you, look at all the good things you've done and say, well, I've done all these good and I'm still seeing bad things. That means that my works is no indicator and has no bearing on who I am and what I am. And that is not what gets God to bless me or not bless me. Because I tell you, I live in a place called Malmesbury. We are going through a severe drought here in the Western Cape. And I'm preaching the gospel as what I've preached it when it was raining. Nothing has changed. When all these rain and blessings fell on me, it was not an indication of the right things I've done. While I was doing wrong things, the rain fell. And now today, I'm preaching this message, loving on people, doing it for free, begging no money, not just from a pure heart, just wanting to get truth to people, loving on people with all of my heart, and it is very dry now. That means that works has got nothing to do with any of these things at all. Glory to God. We are simply living in a physical world where there are, where this nature is also suffering. I wanted to read another scripture, but we've run out of time, but I'm just going to quote it. It's in Romans 8 from verse 18 to 25, where it says that we... Creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God so that creation can be saved from the corruption or the decay that is in this nature. And it says, and creation groans, is suffering, and we are suffering with this creation, but we patiently wait 
for the manifestation that only God can bring forth in us to save us from this death in our bodies and to save our bodies. And when that takes place, nature will also be saved. When you go through a drought, have compassion on nature, saying, we are seeing the effects of what happened from Adam. It is not all of a sudden God removing his hand. When nature suffers, when we suffer and all those kind of things, we have a God that we believe is a merciful God that is good and He will come and we call upon Him and He brings rain and He manifests the signs, wonders and miracles of what will take place in His return and He gives us rain. Glory to God. So I want to say to you, you are deeply loved by God. Never let your works, be it good works or bad works, never let the things that happen in your life ever be an indication of how right you've lived and that God now approves of you. The good things that happen to you is because God is good, not because you have done good. Amen. The bad things that happen in this world is simply because it's a broken world. It's not because God is punishing. Hallelujah. I want to thank you so much for watching. I would like to pray for you. Father, I thank you that I can stretch forth my hand and pray for people that are watching right now. I declare them blessed. I declare them accepted. And that they, in the midst of difficult times or blessed times, can always have you as the indicator of how loved they are.